Welcome to How To In Bed, the ultimate guide to unlocking your full sexual potential. Join me, Lara, an erotic writer and the creator of the sexual wellness platform Tales of Lara, as I spin new tales of sexual exploration with leading experts. Together, we'll unravel the mysteries of cultivating deep, intimate connections with insights like unlocking the secrets of lasting love and channeling your inner dominatrix. Let's dive into How to Inbit with Lara, where pleasure has no boundaries. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Pussy Church and our new series, How to Embed. Today, I'm here with Dr. Jana, a relationship scientist and professor of human sexuality, who is joining us for our episode, How to Open Your Relationship. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. So you study and research relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think my first question that I have right off the bat before we dive into the how-to um, of opening relationships is how do you actually study relationships? How does that research look like? Uh, well, it can look in a lot of different ways. Uh, most of the time, research on relationships focuses on surveys and interviews that uh, you know, we do with people and then we crunch that data and analyze it and publish it in academic journals, and I've done some of that. Lately, I've done a lot of uh, consulting, private consulting with individuals, couples, throuples, mm. all of the different formations that uh, people have, especially these days with all of the different options for relationships that we have. And um, what does yeah. that mean, consulting? Like you kind of help them navigate how they set up their relationships? Yeah, that's kind of like that. I It's not a therapy. I'm not a therapist. And usually people come to me when they are at a crossroads in their relationship and they're not sure which way to go, kind of they want to change something about how they're going about their sex and love lives. And maybe there are a number of options and they are not sure which of those options to choose and what's the smartest thing for them to do, what the most possible thing for them to do. And then how to do that well, whichever thing that they choose, how to do that well. And so I have this process that I take people through where we... <laughs> I'm already excited. <laughs> yeah, I collect all the information that is relevant to that person or couple and uh, try to find what are, of all the different options available to them, what are some of the win-win scenarios that we can find or closest to a win-win scenario that we can find and then how to implement that in a way that is pleasurable, as pleasurable, as safe, and as healthy, as, as ethical for everyone involved as possible. So you created a course called Open Smarter. And is that kind of the personalized version of that class? Yeah, that is kind of the personalized version of that class. The class, the online course, which people can take on their own time, it's all pre-recorded videos and quizzes and exercises um, and resources that will basically guide them more or less through the same process of figuring out what are their relationship options out mm -hmm. there? What is their personality? Yeah, I'm really interested in that part. Yeah, and then you know how to, once they decide which way to go, what are some of those skills and traits that they need to have and develop 
in order to do that well, in order to do that in a way that's healthy, pleasurable, safe, ethical. So I think a lot of people, if they find themselves at a crossroads, right, that could mean so many things within a relationship, obviously. But for the sake of this episode, <laughs> it's about opening a relationship or the possibility of doing that. So when I was listening kind of to your introduction into your class or into your course, you were speaking about personality traits that kind of somehow determine or could help one to understand if like an open relationship is something that's right for you. Mm -hmm. What are those personality traits <laughs> that we could look out for? I keep on using myself as an example because it's easier. If I ask myself like, oh, I'm this kind of person. I think you mentioned novelty seeking, for example. Um, what would be something I could look out for? Yeah, novelty seeking really is the primary determining factor for whether someone is kind of built for non-monogamy of some sort or not. And novelty seeking is a fairly broad trait. You could also jump out of an airplane or something. Exactly. It cuts across <laughs> all of the different aspects of life that and can come come out in a lot of different ways. Traveling, trying different kinds of foods, jumping out of airplanes and doing other kinds of adventure sports. Uh, it also comes out in ways like partying or doing mm. drugs. Uh, you can think of it as uh, sensation seeking. Mm. It is also to some extent related to a boredom susceptibility, you know, some of us are just more easily bored by the same stimulus over and over again, whereas other people are not. And this novelty seeking is to a great extent genetically determined. There mm. is, you know, decent amount of evidence that there are genetic variations between people that make some of us a lot more adventurous on, on this. And, you know, another way to think about it is sort of this desire, need for exploration or adventure. I kept on thinking it's like more nurture than nature, but that's an interesting aspect that we're kind of born with like a set of personality traits or like something like that, where you're like, oh, that's why I like to adventure so much. Well, almost everything about humans is both nature and nurture. Yeah. And the thing is, we have the genetic code, which doesn't change, but which genes get expressed or don't get expressed, hmm. that is often determined by the environment. And those environmental factors, as I said, start to affect us from the moment we are in the womb and, and conceived and then onwards. That said, there is a genetic component. I think that's often something not people think about. People think, oh, it's all nurture, it's all nurture. And sure, nurture does play a role, but we also carry different, different potential potentialities. That makes a lot of sense, I think. In a, I mean, I'm a very adventurous person, I guess. When you were talking about it, I think it alleviates also a little bit the sense of like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm just crazy. You know, I'm like traveling so much. Wow, like no, nobody else is doing it or a lot of people are settling down or doing other things where I feel like I have more a spirit or yeah, this drive to see and explore different parts of like being alive, what that means. But it's kind of relieving to find out, right? That it's like not just up to me necessarily in my choices, but also that it's okay. There's just different kinds of people. 
Yeah, there's different kinds of people and it's okay that there are different kinds of people. Society needs people who are going to be less adventurous, who are happy staying put in one place and doing all the things that society needs in order to run itself. Right. Totally. If everybody yes. was like you and I, <laughs> a lot of things have been done in the world. No, a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> that need that need to happen, you know. And and on the other hand, if people like us, because yeah, I'm 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 up there with you on high on that knowledge seeking. If if we don't exist, then a lot of progress doesn't get made. You know, yes. we are the people, the people who are high on that novelty seeking. If you think back to prehistoric humans and kind of how uh, evolution and prehistory drove us to become who we are today. That happened thanks to a lot of that happened thanks to the people who dared to go beyond what was safe and what was predictable and known and ventured into new new areas, new pastures, new uh, you know, new spaces, new worlds, tried new things, yeah, often died, sure. often got hurt, <laughs> didn't succeed, but those who did, that's how progress um, gets made. And so, yeah, we need we need the whole spectrum yeah, sure. in any one sure. society. And luckily, when you look at the distribution of this trait of novelty seeking, whether we're talking about general novelty seeking or specifically sexual novelty mm-hmm. seeking, which is more, most relevant, right, to the conversation we're having today, it's a normal distribution. It's a bell curve. Mm. There are probably about 10, 15% of people who are very low on that need for, for novelty seeking. There are about 10, 15% of people who are very high on that need for novelty seeking and about 70-ish percent of people who are somewhere in the middle. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, also when you say kind of going into new worlds and experiencing um, things that haven't been that explored, I keep on thinking, obviously, since we're talking about relationships, that we've also live in a society that for a very long time had a very strict and very narrow view on what a relationship can look like. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a point where, let's say in the Western world, obviously, because as you mentioned, right, novelty seeking in that sense could be um, very detrimental to your <laughs> well-being in different kind of cultures. Um, but now we're at a point where we can choose different kinds and not to say that you wouldn't choose Um, monogamy anyways you know but just that there's a choice that I can sit there and be like oh what is it actually I want and not what is what people tell me I have to do as after almost 12,000 years of not having choices we're literally coming out of a very long period in human history of about 12,000 years where you know maybe the most wealthy uh, high status men had a little bit of a choice of how Mm -hmm. to relationships but pretty much anyone else did not women did not have any choice men without power and status and money didn't have any choice but we are in this transitional period where all of a sudden we now do have many more choices where societal norms are changing you know somewhere faster somewhere more slowly but they are slowly changing to become more accepting of these alternative relationship models and now we're actually entering Uh, an era where a different challenge presents itself instead of the challenge of kind of being forced to exist in in a model with whether that fit you or not now you actually have all these different models Ah, and all these choices yeah now almost there are too many choices (laughs) they're like how do i find the right one for me at this point in my life because 
what's right for you right now might not be right for you five years down the line or 10 years down the line or with a different partner. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like the the thing about monogamy. And I, it is also a question of mine. Um, what are some great challenges that people have with like traditional monogamous relationships? But I think that we are often told that our partner is supposed to be everything and fulfill every need, like the one of the best friend, the one of the passionate lover, I don't know, super emotionally in tune with you, spiritually connected, like you said, like a great husband, great father or mother, parent in general. Yes, I find it very interesting that we've kind of developed this like view that is very much a setup for a little bit of a failure. Yeah. Because nobody can really be all these things for us. Yeah. You know, when you think about the progression of what marriage was and is today, it's a very different world that we live in today. These expectations that we have of our partners to be our everything, that's a brand new thing. We did not have that even years ago, let alone further back when marriage was literally an economic transaction or a transaction that brought two families together and formed kinship bonds and uh, that kind of stuff. You know, they there were no expectations back then that your partner is going to be the most passionate lover and your emotional don, all of these other things that we've piled on today. Because today we live in this world where we have the luxury of of flirting with that tip of Maslow's pyramid of self-actualization because in many previous generations we were on the base level of basic survival and we needed a, a partner like a logistical partner who can help us survive let alone get some of those higher levels of uh, self-esteem and you know, social status and whatnot and then we get to today where it's like well I have all those other sort of lower if you will needs met and I want self-actualization and my partner, if they're my partner in crime, needs to be able to you know, be there with me uh, up there on top with all of the different things and have all of those overlaps. And, you know, it's great if you find someone like that, you know, amazing. It's not very likely that for many of us, we are going to find that person who is going to be that everything for us now. And, and this is key, is going to stay that. That's nearly impossible. <laughs> yeah, expecting that we're going to match perfectly now and remain perfectly matched for forever. And so you know, monogamy can be a really great way to get more of our needs met while still maintaining everything that is good um, from the relationships that we have. When a couple is at a point where you don't quite know what it is, right? I may be novelty seeking, but also I think I heard you talk about this before. Um, maybe have some anxious attachment. So these forces kind of rub against each other in a sense of like, would I open up my relationship if I have both? Mm -hmm. So what kind of questions... be opening up there are a number of you know questions that pretty much everyone needs to ask themselves and the first one being why do i want to open mm. up 
what is driving me? And so novelty seeking can be one of those, as I said, primary drivers for a lot of people that, you know, you just you just want more novelty, more sensation, more experiences, different different bodies, different types of sex, different you know experiences that you can never have with one person. Like you want threesomes or, or you know, foursomes. You know, no matter how well matched with your one partner you are, no matter how good the sex is between the two of you, you can never have a threesome with just them. <laughs> and so there are other cases, though, where the primary driver of the desire for non-monogamy is um, that there is some some important discrepancy between the partners where mm-hmm. there's some kind of basic needs, sexual or romantic, that are not being met by this partner that you would like to outsource. Like a kink? Yeah, like if I'm kinky and you're not, and instead yeah. of trying to make you <laughs> do these things that you're not really that into, can I just go and do that with someone else who's into that thing? Yeah. There are many, many relationships, and that is... That's a pretty good reason to go and and uh, open up in some shape or form. There are many relationships where there is a big discrepancy in sex drive, for example, with yeah. one person wanting just just regular vanilla sex a lot more than the other person, and yeah, that's that's a difficult situation for people to be in and for them to resolve it without opening up because either the person who has less drive kind of needs to be Give pushed in something <laughs> well yeah they, like, if they don't want to be having sex and they feel like they have to be having sex so that they can feed yeah. the the other partner and that's not great and it's also not great for the person with a higher sex drive to have to constantly repress their need yeah and feel undesired and rejected and and so that can be a good reason you know even for someone who's not particularly high on novelty seeking and who in a different scenario if they were partnered with someone who was a similar match on sex drive with them they might be happy with that one partner but if they're partnered with someone who just doesn't have as much desire then outsourcing that can be a good reason to open up and so Knowing the reason, what is your driver mm-hmm. for potentially opening up is important because that's going to determine how you approach the conversation. And also how that could look like, right? What kind of boundaries? Mm-hmm. And because I would think if, let's say, it's a kink that is very specific and I would go and say, I need to see a sex worker or I would like to see a sex worker for the specific kink is quite a different approach than maybe a polyamorous um, proposal where I'm asking for another romantic partner that I could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very different proposal. So I think with the mismatched sex drive, um, I can imagine that being like a very common reason to open up. Yeah, well, it's a very common experience, first of all. We have the research that says at any given point in time, about 30% of couples experience uh, discrepancy in sex drive that's sort of large enough to cause some level of dissatisfaction or distress in at least one of the people. Obviously, in like a long, um, long-term relationship, you'll have ups and downs, right? And you have matches and mismatches at different points in time. Or even if you have children, like often there is some um, discrepancy afterwards with libido and stuff. So if I would say maybe have a mismatched um sex drive 
situation with my partner and I want to approach the subject of maybe opening up the relationship. What would be like a good way to approach a partner? You know, it, it could go something along the lines of, and it's important where you have that conversation and when, so you always need to think about finding the right moment when people are actually, you know, don't have a lot of other stuff on their mind and they can have, because this is a big, difficult oh, yeah. conversation. So all of the things, you know, that you need to do for any kind of big, difficult conversation to increase the chances of it going well, please do that. But then once, you know, that we're at the content, there are a few things that need to get communicated and probably, you know, like, honey, you know, I've been thinking, you know, we, you know that I've always been um, kind of asking for more sex than what you're interested in. And I don't want to pressure you, right, to, to do something that you don't want to do. I don't want to keep pressuring. I feel like I'm pressuring you to do something that you don't want to do. And I don't really want to do that. I don't think that's fair to you because there's nothing wrong with you wanting the amount of sex that you want. There's nothing wrong with me wanting the amount of sex that I want. And I find myself having to always suppress and always, um, you know, feel constantly feel like I don't get my needs met and um, get rejected a lot. And you know, have to have that feeling of rejection and unwantedness and not being desired. And um, like it's it's really not an ideal scenario, and I absolutely love you, and I really love the life that we have together. So that reassurance component kind of has to come in, if that's authentic and genuine. That's the truth. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just sort of making that assumption that this is a couple where the other things are good, right? The relationship is generally a good relationship, and we want to keep it, and so it's important to communicate that. And so I've been thinking, or I've been reading, or I've, you know, listened to the to this podcast or, yeah. you know, or you know, remember our friends, uh, Bob and Jane, who have this open, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever reference is relevant for, for you to make of why and how you've been thinking about this as an option. You know, I've been thinking about maybe, maybe we could open up the relationship in some way, shape or form so that, you know, I can get my needs met. And I wanted to see what you thought about that. And I'm, you know, very happy to think about different ways that we could do it and, you know, troubleshoot all of the <laughs> different possible wor worries and fears and scenarios. Um, and, no. So if I would be the other partner <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, well, I see that. Thank you for sharing. I'm open to talking about different ways of doing this but I have some concerns and I, I'm wondering about how we can negotiate or what kind of boundaries we can set where we both feel comfortable doing it because I think mm -hmm. that was kind of my next question where I was like wow this is a question where maybe I am receptive you know and I'm like okay well maybe there is a way to do this but what are the boundaries that I need to make me feel safe with this arrangement. Uh -huh. So what kind of boundaries do people set? Because sometimes I don't even know. I mean, I hear of people, I have friends who do a no penetration kind of situation in threesomes, for example, or um, not more than three dates or actually not dating at all, just sexual relations. 
So okay. what are kind of the versions that you've discovered that people or maybe that even you have practiced? Hmm. Yeah. Um, first of all, I got to say that was a very, very easy conversation. You're like, okay, I'm open. Yeah. Let's just talk about the how. <laughs> totally. I'm like, well, it could also be, obviously it could, I can also role play in a sense or just imagine for myself being maybe having a moment where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm not enough for you. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of a feeling of maybe some kind of sadness or not feeling like, I don't know, maybe even the fear that this is just opening up into a maybe you'll leave me situation for somebody else. So I don't know. Maybe those are some of the concerns that can come up. Yeah. And all of those are concerns and all of those are things that are going to come up for different people. So I want to warn the listeners that this is probably going to be an ongoing conversation that takes a while. You know, for some people, I mean, for some people, it might be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, let's just talk about the how. But in many cases, it's not going to be that easy. (laughs) Very often, the person hearing it is going to feel some negative emotion around it that they're going to need to sit with, process, think about, kind of get over. And there will need to be levels of reassurance coming from the partner suggesting this, maybe a coach, a therapist, yes. uh, reading some books, listening to some podcasts. So resources are, are going to be very important in in that process. And so just going to think about that being a process of figuring out whether this is possible at all. And if so, what could that look like? Yes. And it's absolutely yeah. critical that the need for the other need. So we've been talking about the need for novelty and exploration and, mm-hmm. you know, excitement or, or even just like basic needs of enough sex being met. But that's not the only need that humans have that dictates how all of this is going to play out. The other need is the need for safety and security. And yes. in many ways, the most the more basic of the two, because without safety and security, we can't survive. The novelty is a little bit of a bonus. Mm-hmm. You have safety and security, you can then go out there and explore. But if your security is shaky, then piling on exploration can be very, very threatening. And so um, that's why, you know, when you're asking what what are some questions to ask yourself? Well, first, you know, why do you want this? Second is though, do we have the stability yeah. in our relationship right now? to be able to absorb this kind of opening up, which is going to bring threat and some level of instability. Not that you bring it up in like a big crisis where you're already on shaky ground, so to speak. And then on top of that, you're opening up. Because I feel like I've seen that with a couple of my friends who opened up in a crisis and that not going so well. (laughs) That almost never goes well. Yeah. No. I actually like to start with the big picture. And the big picture is there are basically two different ways, uh, two different types of non-monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. that are very qualitatively different. And many of those smaller decisions about how many times you can see someone or whatever will get determined based on which of these two you're going to go for. Cool. So one is what I call open monogamy. Mm Mm-hmm. Or just open. 
a romantically exclusive relationship, so a single attachment bond, a single pair bond, mm-hmm. single long-term romantic committed relationship, that is sexually open. Yeah. Right? In some way, shape, or form, to some extent, and we can talk about the specifics of that, but that's a big distinction from polyamory, mm-hmm. where you have not just sexually not exclusive, but also romantically not exclusive. So you have two or more serious romantic committed relationship where love is happening, right? There's emotions, there is much more time and energy and bandwidth spent on these additional partners. And so that's the first question that people need to ask themselves and need to communicate to their partners what they're asking for. Mm -hmm. So when conversation begins and you're like, can we open up in some way, shape or form? The first thing when it becomes like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? That needs to be clearly communicated. Am I asking for just sexual openness or am I asking for more romantic openness? So that's so interesting. So there's quite a few different ways you can try this and kind of negotiate it. Let's say you choose one, right, of these two of like polyamorous or like Let's stick with open monogamy, because when you say it's better to start with that, um, if we don't really have experience in in opening up anything, anything, um, (laughs) any relationship. And then we still have quite a lot of negotiation to do. Yes. Still a lot of now more. We we get more into the sort of the details of how. Okay, so we've decided, all right, it's going to be we just want casual-ish sex with other people. So then the first next question is, do we want to do this together, play together, or do you want to play separately? Mm, Questions that come later are going to depend on that because it's going to be sort of a very different logistically and to some extent psychologically different experience if we're going to be going to sex parties together or trying to have threesomes and foursomes and that kind of stuff together. Versus if we're talking about you going on separate dates by yourself, me going on separate dates by myself. Yes, exactly. A whole nother universe of possibilities. Or we're going to do both, of course. There's no yes. nothing that says we can't do both. But because mm-hmm. um, playing together has a whole different set of kind of challenges um, and you know, benefits and challenges from playing separately. And so that's another question that, again... I think people who are approaching a partner with the intention of opening up should have, they don't have to have answers to all of the questions that we'll maybe get to uh, right now, because some of those just going to get decided in uh, in dialogue. But there are a few of these basic ones that you kind of, it's best if you have an idea uh, mm-hmm. ahead of time. Like, do you want threesomes, foursomes, or do you want to go on one-on-one dates? Like, know that. Then you have... A number of questions of, well, how often do you want to do this? Like, how big of a role do you want something like this to play in your life? Is this something you're imagining once a week? Is this something you're imagining once a month? Well, a couple yeah. of times a year? That's obviously going to make a big difference. Then there are questions around how casual can these connections be? You know, thinking on that mm-hmm. spectrum of of casual like, do we want strangers or people that we're only going to see? This is where some of those things come in yeah. to play. Like how many times can you see someone so that to limit 
that possibility of feelings developing and things getting more complicated and serious and maybe tipping into polyamory? Or is it going to be friends? And can we, if if we're going to go for something like friends and ongoing casual partners, then the other questions come in. Are we capable of keeping these things separate? What's your take on sharing versus not sharing of experiences um, that you like hookups, let's say casual encounters within an open monogamy situation? I don't think there's one right answer. It's all about what the two people want and feel comfortable with. There's a whole range from don't ask, don't tell completely. You know, <laughs> I know that you're doing things, but I don't want to know yeah. when they happen, how they happen. I don't want anything about that. And that's fine. I've seen that work for long periods of time or as a first step into becoming comfortable. You know, sometimes the person, if they're not super you know, happy with it or they just don't want to be processing all of that information, you know, having information also means like you have to deal with that information. And oh, so yeah. if you come yeah. back from a hookup and you tell me about it, then I have to spend some amount of time thinking, processing, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? What does that mean for this? What does that mean for mm -hmm. that? And so sometimes people don't have the bandwidth to do that work, and that's okay, as long as there is that basic level of trust established that these are boundaries, and whatever you do, you're going to stick within those uh, boundaries. Um, you know, there's the other end of the spectrum where people want to know all of the details. Yes. And <laughs> I think that is great if it's a turn on. Yeah. Only if it's a turn on should you be asking for all the details. Uh, very often people will ask for all the details when it doesn't actually serve them, when each detail they hear is another stab in the heart. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I think for most people, some basic level of knowing, you know, when you went with someone and who this person was and sort of what happened is um, is you know, good. Um, yeah, because I can also imagine otherwise, I mean, depending on the personality again, but I think if I would know nothing, I would think about it a lot. You know, then imagination runs wild. All these possibilities open up, whereas I can see like basic information being good, Details, probably not so much, even though I, I have a friend who is in a polyamorous relationship and he's very much turned on or him and his partner, his main partner in their setup. They're very much turned on in all the details of the sexual happenings. And unfortunately, you know, in many cases, there's a discrepancy between how much someone wants to know and how much the other person likes to tell. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I had that with with my ex husband in the beginning. You know, I like to share everything. You know, I want to tell, and he's my closest person. I want to tell him about all my fun escapades, but that wasn't what was good for him. You know, he didn't want to hear all of the details, and so you know, we had to work around how and when and how much to tell. So, yeah, in some cases, there is that discrepancy that needs to get worked on. So there are a lot of questions, right, that people need themselves, ask their partners what they want for themselves, what they're okay with their partners doing or knowing or, or saying. And that's why this mm -hmm. is an ongoing conversation.
if this was the course I would want to take with my partner, I would clearly seek support. I mean, and resources. So what does your course entail? And in general, what kind of resources would you recommend for people? Because I think it's a lot if you've never done it before, especially if it's your first time. I'm sure it's different the second time or the third or whatever. But in the beginning of, wow, there's quite a lot of things even today I hadn't even considered um, that I would have to ask myself and my partner. And yeah, to have somebody who can guide you through it seems extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is, especially since this is all brand new territory that so many of us, these are, you know, I like to think of as the relationship landscape with mm -hmm. all of the different options as the different countries and states and provinces, you know, on that landscape. And we're literally talking about there having been a wall yeah. that most people had never gone on the other side of for 12,000 years. And then all of a sudden the wall has come down and now it's like, okay, or or in parts has come down. And so some people are kind of uh, furtively checking out what's on the other side and, and still a lot of shame and stigma and totally. judgment from many people who uh, will be surrounding people interested in opening up. So guidance is critical. Guidance and community. So yes. I would I would encourage everyone who's considering opening up to find a local either offline or plenty of online communities that they can connect with so they can talk to other people who are living these lifestyles. They can go to some meet and greets. Like they don't have to go to sex parties or something like that, but there are usually some forms of social events where they can go and meet um, other people who are living these lifestyles in different ways. But even more critical than that is finding resources. And that means read some of the books that are about, you know, non-monogamy. There are a couple of couple of classics, The Ethical Slut, mm -hmm. Opening Up by Tristan Taramino, um, More Than Two by Franklin Vo for those interested in polyamory specifically. There are a few newer uh, books as well. And uh, I'm writing a book. Uh, hopefully that will be <gasps> cool. a useful resource to people as well. But definitely read some books, listen to some podcasts, and you know, take my course, honestly. <laughs> yes, please. Tell us a little bit about how that's set up. As I said, it's an online course that has a lot of um is a lot of these these things that we discuss. There are there's information, there's resources, there's quizzes that people can test themselves on on some of those things that we talked about, like how easily do I get infatuated and mm -hmm. uh, my level of novelty seeking, my level of uh, security, uh, d different attachment styles, uh, levels of communication and assertiveness. So there's a lot of uh, jealousy, obviously. We didn't really talk much about jealousy, but a lot of this is... <laughs> it's so uh, funny because I'm not a very jealous person. And so I completely zoned out on that part. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the jealousy is just lack of security. Mm. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. All of these things that we talked about, all the, these different rules that people might come up with is so that you manage that mm -hmm. jealous response, which is basically a shaken up security. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And so, you know, the course basically gives people the that overview of the relationship landscape. What are the different options to start with? And then helps them figure out where they stand, generally speaking, on some of these key components of novelty seeking, security, 
needs um, and some of these other personality traits and then kind of gives people the opportunity to learn the different skills and traits that they need in order to do this well. Yes. And since it is a brave new world, you know, you'll become a little athlete, basically. You need to get some skills. <laughs> and, you know, the sad part is actually many of these skills are things that people in any kind of relationship should have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Of course, it's actually not just for people who want to open up. It's for anyone who wants to approach their relationships in a more intentional, thought-through mm. way and get insight into who they are especially when it comes to sex and relationships and who their partners are in this regard. So they can understand better where their overlaps are, where their discrepancies are, and then how to address them. And even if that means addressing them within a monogamous relationship, I don't want people to take away from this conversation that everyone should be open and that being open is somehow better than not being open and that monogamy sucks. You know, I absolutely <laughs> please don't take that away from it. I think monogamy is a really amazing structure for a lot of people. And especially if you find someone that you are well-matched, totally. you know, sky's the limit. And there are lots of different ways. And I want to encourage people who are maybe in a monogamous relationship that they're not super satisfied with, but also for whatever reason, opening up is not an option or not uh, appealing. There are a lot of ways to bring in novelty and excitement and adventure within the confines of monogamy oh, that sure. most people do not do in their monogamous relationship. And I think we have so much failure of monogamy and so much frustration and dissatisfaction in monogamy because people don't do monogamy well. We need to learn I how totally to do monogamy agree. better. And then yeah. a lot more people will be actually happy with their monogamy. I call this hot monogamy. That Oh, that's cute. That I think for a lot of people will would be the solution. Well, I think it's always so interesting. I thought that about BDSM actually and I'm not like an avid practicer or something, but like I think the conversation or even the queer community, right? The conversation that people have, like the negotiation aspect of it and setting up a scene and um, boundaries and safe words, all of these things just tweaked a little bit should be the standard for every relationship. That kind of communication should be the standard. And it doesn't mean you have to like tie somebody up and hang them from the ceiling. It's just to really create like you said it's so beautiful before a container for our relationship and our sexual exploration that can hold it all mm -hmm. whatever we want to experience together or with other people yeah i think there's a lot that everyone can learn from the kink world and the communication that exists there and certainly a lot of that can be applied to non-monogamous relationships because just like kinky sex is in some ways higher risk type sex than the regular vanilla sex, because in regular vanilla sex, you know, there, there are certain things that we obviously need to negotiate about, but there are fewer options for what we can do with one another that most people are relatively familiar with. And um, so it's, it's just much easier. The pool of options is much mm -hmm. smaller. And so the communication doesn't all have to be as extensive as it needs to be in King. Whereas in King, there's so many different options that yes. you absolutely have to have those kinds of very clear conversations. And, you know, same is true of, of non-monogamy. In some sense, non-monogamous relationships are higher risk relationships, and we need to approach them that way. And, you know, it's like playing with fire. 
the <laughs> fire the, the fire suit is that communication uh, so that we have some level of security as we're about to go play with fire. Because just because you might get burned doesn't mean that you shouldn't play with fire. If playing with fire is fun for you, I want you to go and play with fire, but you need to know how to do it so that you don't hurt yourself and other people, especially badly, because that can happen. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to our episode, How to Open Smarter. I hope you enjoyed exploring the secrets of sexual intimacy and satisfaction with me. You can find our guest, Dr. Jana, in the show notes. And remember to visit our website, talesoflara.com, for more valuable resources and tips to enhance your sexual wellness journey. If you like today's show, please head over to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It helps us keep the show going. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. See you next Sunday. Until then, stay curious and keep exploring.